Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Okay, beautiful people, welcome to episode two. If you listened to episode one, we got to hear the beautiful story in life of JP, Martha's firstborn. Um, And today we get to hear the miraculous story of Miss JJ. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to know JJ since our friendship, um, mine and Martha's friendship, and she is amazing. Um, She's super loud, which I Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that's a resemblance of her mom, musical Uh theater, Uh maybe. Uh (laughs) Um, She's got these amazing cheeks. She's Mm -hmm. just great. She's beautiful and she's thriving. And um, she's been, she's gone through a lot to to get to where she is. She's a little fighter. And mm-hmm. so today we get to hear um, all about Martha's journey. And this is also unique because I think for any mom that has had multiple NICU babies, you go mm-hmm. through also this process of like preparing to go through it again or, you know. Yeah. And so Martha also has this unique and beautiful perspective of what it is like to to be pregnant again after a loss, but also pregnant again knowing that there's a possibility of another NICU mm-hmm. stay. And so... Um, this is just a, another very valuable episode because we get such a beautiful insight. So, Martha, thanks for, um, first of all, being my co-host, but <laughs> second of all, for sharing your story again. Um, where would you like to start with Miss JJ? Well, I will start uh, a little bit after we had JP. Okay. Because uh, after after we had JP, um, we moved back to Minnesota uh, Midwest is best, Midwest is <laughs> because partly because we wanted to have better control over my health care and uh, my prenatal care once I was able to get pregnant again. Uh, there is a fantastic healthcare system here uh, with a wonderful level three NICU and a brand new hospital here. Uh, there's also uh, a maternal fetal specialist here, also which is also known in different regions as perinatologist. But um, the beautiful thing about this region is that there's a it's one big system, so everything talks to each it's mm-hmm. to each other. Everybody, yeah. all the people are talking. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of hand motions, <laughs> uh, and that's important um, because it made me feel empowered in my healthcare. Uh, where I felt very out of control with JP. Mm-hmm. All of the pieces, the infectious disease doctor, the perinatologist, my OB, the hospital, those were separate entities, and to get them to work together and talk together was difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that what I needed the next time I had a baby uh, was the idea that I didn't have to do that for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you get When you have a baby in the NICU or when you have – high-risk pregnancies, you get really good at telling people your medical history, mm-hmm. uh, which is why during JP's episode, if you listen to that, I I feel kind of disconnected from it sometimes when I'm talking about it because I've regaled the story a million times. Uh, so when I – when we moved here, I established an OB who I love. I established myself with maternal fetal medicine, um, and I also decided – to go see uh, reproductive endocrinology because I suspected that there was something that might be preventing me. Um, well, first of all, I it, I struggled with infertility before I had GP, so I wanted to uh, 
set those set that relationship uh, so that I could get the infertility medication if I needed it again when we were ready to try. Um, but also to run tests to see what was going on with my body and if there was anything, any reason why the preterm delivery may have happened. A lot of you know that with premature delivery, um, sometimes it's preeclampsia. Sometimes there's trauma, like physical trauma or things involved. Um, but a lot of times there's just, there's no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either spontaneous, uh, premature contractions or um or it's an incompetent cervix which is a dumb thing (laughs) i remember saying that to someone like i think you're saying it wrong and i was like i think i would know because it's my cervix okay (laughs) ma'am we write a cpk too so now every time i go to calvary pizza kitchen i get just pissed so when i went to visit the reproductive endocrinologist she ran through a bunch of basic tests with me and just as a whim, I mentioned to her, you know, oh, yeah, I had PCOS, I did Clomid, and I think one time someone mentioned a couple years ago that I may have had a uterine septum, and she stopped immediately and put down her pen and say, whoa, 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 whoa. If you have a septum in your uterus, uh, that could keep you from getting pregnant, it could cause miscarriage, and it could cause preterm delivery. Um, that was very difficult to hear that potentially JP's early delivery could have been prevented. But I was at least happy that I was in the right place. Mm -hmm. So basically, a septum uterus happens when you are forming as a little bunch of cells and something doesn't split right, so there's a wall inside of your uterus. Um, And it's kind of heart-shaped. Sometimes there's a full wall. Mine was partial. Uh, I had to go through a significant amount of saline sonograms where they fill it up with your uterus up with saline water and then one where they fill it up with iodine at one point last week I told um Ashley that it was like radioactive dye that was not right that was not right it was I was iodine. like really oh. yeah. I was like I became spider-man but just my uterus um, but, um anyway uh so all of these uh ultrasounds discovered the proved that I did have a significant septum uh, that needed to be removed. So you have um, laparoscopic surgery, um, and basically I called it extreme home makeover uterus edition, <laughs> and they removed the, put a tiny little razor in there, and they shaved down the septum until it's not there anymore. The first time they went in, though, um, I had the entire inside of my uterus was scarred with tissue from my first C-section. So she just had to take all of that out, uh, which would explain why we were not getting pregnant um, in between JP and JJ, because there was nothing for an egg to implant on. Uh, So I had that taken care of. I did the second surgery to remove the wall. And then um, she basically said, get her done. She said, give it a try and see what happens without fertility medication. Because when your uterus is... Um, freshly scraped. I'm sorry, that is such a gross way to describe it. But when all of the tissue is brand new, it makes you really fertile. So I didn't get pregnant the first month, but second pregnant, second month after I got pregnant with JJ, which was exciting and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew what I had to do. Um, I uh, saw 
the uh, high-risk specialists starting at 16 weeks, I got progesterone shots in my butt. <laughs> and I uh, also was monitored. So they would do an ultrasound to see the check the length of my cervix. Um, so by 20 weeks, I had already shortened to the past the threshold in which they place a cerclage. So I had a cerclage placed for a surgery. So if you're counting, this is surgery number four. <laughs> and I uh, that was very scary because they bring you up to the labor and delivery wing. Um, and basically from that point on, I was on bed rest. Uh, and there was – it went from being – a pregnancy where I was hopeful I could deliver at, you know, 36 weeks and beyond to um, knowing that wasn't going to happen. I had the cerclage placed and uh, shortly before the surgery, I started having contractions and I would have contractions on and on, on and off from that point until I delivered. Um, I found out that I have a very finicky uterine muscle. She's easily agitated <laughs> like her host. <laughs> so um, things like eating too much cheese or um, not getting enough water, standing, sitting in a position for too long, um, laughing too hard, not getting to the bathroom in time, like holding holding your, your pee before you have to go to the bathroom. All of those things would cause significant contractions. Mm-hmm. And then I would have to go drink a full glass of water and lay down and tie and time it out and just wait and see. Um, I went from the time I had my cerclage placed until the time I delivered. I went in six times to labor and delivery because I was having contractions that were seven minutes apart or, um, you know, I thought I had – my water broke, but I just peed myself. And they were like, please stop peeing yourself. And I was like, but I have to drink more water. And they were like, I know. And I was like, there's no way out of this cycle of death. And they were like, I know. Um, you know, that whole time was traumatic. And I kept working from home. I'm, I was an event planner. And I did it to keep myself as sane as possible and to distract myself. Because the idea that at any moment I could have the baby and lose her was, um, I, again, there's like no great words for this, but it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, spirit crushing. Um, so I compartmentalized a lot. Uh, that's something I work on a lot and talk about a lot in my counseling. The idea that I detached myself from her because I was preparing myself that she would die. Mm -hmm. That sounds really morbid, but when you've had a child die, you just get used to the idea that you are the angel of death and everything you touch will die. And so I was really afraid constantly. And I would look up multiple times a day. There was a calculator online that I found where you could type in how much your how many gestational weeks your baby was, how much they weighed um, to see what the percentage was for survival. Mm. And I remember being happy when we got to that 23, 24 range because then I knew, okay, she could survive. Um, You know, then it came 24, 25 weeks past, which was a huge mile marker because of – 
that's when JP was born. Mm -hmm. And then I knew, okay, well, she'll probably survive. But, you know, the intact survival rate, which is the rate that measures if they will have long-term disabilities or, you know, anything from having to wear glasses to having ADHD to having CP, um, you know, just having to rationalize with myself in that way, making it very cold and efficient was all per- just protecting myself and my body. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned in counseling is that there was the only way it was going to work for me. I feel really guilty about it because I feel like it inhibited my relationship with JJ when she was born. But I also know that uh, it's also the reason she survived. Because if I had let that anxiety rush in, if I had let that emotion rush in, my body would have gone into labor and she would have been born earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, a backwards yeah. way of trying to interpret it all and take in information. Um, had 27 weeks. It was my sister's bachelorette party and I wasn't there because she was out of town. And they all called me as they were leaving a bar and they were like, what are you up to? And I was like, I don't know. I think I just peed myself again. Um, and it turns out I didn't. The water just kept coming and coming and coming. And I was like, is it normal to soak all the way through my pants? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Too much information. No. But I went into the hospital and it turns out I had my water had broken. Uh, so I was in triage and a doctor came in and... At this point, I had been there so often that I was expecting them to say I could go home. They ran an amnesia, which is a test. Um, it's 99.9% accurate. And it said um, my water had not broken. But um, they did some ultrasounds and they measured the amount of amniotic fluid. Um, and it was significantly less than for my previous ultrasound. So they said no. Your water did break, um, and you have to stay here until she's born. Luckily, I hadn't dilated yet. Um, there was still the cerclage was still holding on strong, um, so I was admitted to the hospital that night, and I stayed there for two weeks. Um, you know, I love the labor and delivery nurses; they're just rock stars. When you're there for antepartum, like your back seat, and that's totally okay because there's ladies literally pushing down the hallway and they need the attention. And every time they come in, they're like, we have other babies being born. I'm like, great, go take care of those babies. I don't want my baby born today. (laughs) Um, But they do lovely things for you, like paint your fingernails and help you get like compression socks on your big, fat, pregnant legs Um, and like help you shower. All these things that are really intimate and make you feel like you're – surrounded by love all the time mm-hmm. um JJ came at 29 weeks which was you know felt great for us at the time she was born because it felt much better than 25 mm-hmm. I knew she was at least three pounds um you know I had had multiple rounds of the steroid shot at that point and the steroid shot if you don't know is helps them rapidly grow their little lungs um but when I walked into the NICU and I saw her, which was, it was different this time around because I wasn't so sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a couple hours after. Um, and did you have a C-section? Yes. I had a C- another emergency C-section. Hashtag blast. <laughs> you know, at this point I was like, I told my mom this week, I was like, I can have another one. <laughs> and she's like, you're not pregnant. I was like, I know. I just want to sleep. Okay. I just want a good sleep. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, maybe I'll just go back and just yeah. start with JJ's birth again. So JJ, um, I was having consistent contractions on the day JJ was born. I was watching the movie 300 with my husband, and I had had Swedish meatballs for lunch. And immediately after, um, the nurse came in and said, you've been having significant contractions. Uh, the doctor on call came in and checked me. I was four centimeters dilated. And I was like, cool. <laughs> Great. Um, they said, have you had anything to eat? And I was like, do you mean the Swedish meatballs and chocolate cake and Diet Coke I just had? And they were like, yes. So because I had eaten, I couldn't um, do the spinal tap and be awake during the C-section. I had to be knocked under completely. They were so fast at this beautiful hospital. I was in – from the time that they checked me and they found out it was four centimeters – I was delivering the baby within 10 minutes. I mean, it was so fast and amazing. Um, and I was surrounded by all these amazing, powerful women. And like in the midst of it, I remember like, maybe I should be a doctor. And then in my head, I was like, no, you can't. <laughs> all you know is tap dancing. So I um, I was out, which I think in retrospect was, was okay. Mm-hmm. Because having to experience uh, – what it's like to be awake and have the sheet up and all that, I think would have been very triggering and upsetting, uh, especially with my last experience. So I was out and Zach just waited outside the door. And when she was born, she was born screaming her head off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they brought her out and Zach has an amazing video of it. And she, she did great. She only needed CPAP for a couple of days. Um, I woke up and, the first thing I heard was Zach say, um, "She she's she's doing great. She was born screaming. I mean, that is the scary thing about being out is that you just have to yeah. go to sleep trusting that it'll be okay. Right. So, you know, again, I'm just like praying to Jesus beforehand, like, hope it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they, all you can do is give blind faith, find mm-hmm. trust to the people who um, are in the room. And he said, she's doing great. She's doing awesome. And I was like so loopy. I screamed at the top of my lungs. I said, praise Jesus. And the nurses all were like laughing so hard. Um, And I made them, like I made them look at her picture a thousand times. And they were like, I'm the same nurse. Do you realize that? (laughs) As I was 10 minutes ago. Um, The recovery was much better. So I was able to get to the postpartum wing and then um, go to see her pretty quickly. Um, and I was riding a high because and I hadn't really experienced that with JP, but like, you know, the post-birth high when you're like, all the hormones are going great in my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the drugs are still in there a little bit. So you're just like punching through the sky. I remember um, Kristen Bell, you know, the comedian, <laughs> she described it. She was like looking at handbags online and like ordering a bunch of stuff. You just feel so good and happy. And I was so elated that she was doing well. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy to not be in the antepartum wing anymore because I got so sick of looking at the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as soon as I walked in, it like, it hit me like a ton of bricks, right? Like she still wasn't safe. Like the room looked the same. Everything smelled the same. I was imagining because she was 29 weeks. I was like, she's just going to be like a full baby in there. It's going to be like an eight pound baby, but she was three pounds, mm-hmm. which is still really small. Um, we were, so lucky that she did so well and she really had a grower feeder course which is ideal and so many other 
people have to fight for so much longer with their kids in the NICU. And I know that. And I, I don't want to sound ungrateful because, you know, 47 days in a NICU is is really nothing. I, well, it's not nothing, I should say. <laughs> you well, should see how I'm looking at it. Right <laughs> it's with, it's with um, not judgment, but it, it's almost as if to say, Martha. <laughs> so it, it's, it isn't nothing, but I know that there are people who have significant more tra- maybe traumatic trials. Although I know that's kind of subjective too. You know, she wasn't in there for 287 days. She wasn't in there for 87 days. She was there for 47 days. Um, and that's different. She didn't go home on an NG tube. She had no brain bleeds. She, her lungs were like awesome because she had, had all those steroid shots. And that's probably why she's a little loopy. She is, she did pretty good with the feeding. You know, she turned out to be allergic to my breast milk which was like excuse me what was I doing all this pumping for um but I felt really powerful in the NICU very safe like I got frustrated and I was scared at times like there is nothing that prepares you for um the uh what are those called the braid what are they called the Brady's yeah sorry (laughs) nothing prepares you for the Brady's and the DSATs and the, the beeps going off it makes you feel sick and awful and like your child is going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's difficult and horrible. And the nurses, because they do it every day, they just come in and they hit a button and they're like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and it takes you weeks and weeks and weeks to realize that there is good chance that your baby will go home and be okay. Mm-hmm. The first two weeks were pretty awful, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. They were pretty terrible. Um, but... As, it, as time went on, I became more comfortable and, and more, more hopeful that she would come home. Um, for me, the problem with my mental health happened when we brought her home. Um, I think that you want so badly to leave and you're like, I'm ready. She's doing great. I'm doing great. A week before, they had said she might go home in a couple months. And then a few days later, they said she's going home tomorrow. Right. We weren't ready. We, like, had nothing ready. We had a crib and a car seat, and I guess that's all we really needed, but it it just, we weren't ready. And I hadn't even imagined what our Instagram post would be when we left, and we would be like, I look, like, really pretty. And, um, and spoiler alert, I didn't. I, didn't, I was wearing a, a purple a maternity shirt that I got on clearance for Target, like, three years earlier, and, like, some ripped like capri yoga pants from 2004 and i still have them but i did not look cute i didn't feel cute i didn't sleep well the night before and we had never done because i she was exclusively um formula at this point because of her allergy um and i was pumping overnight but we had never done where you stay in and you do the being up all night and doing that thing like you know being a regular parent (laughs) quote regular Regular. (laughs) and what I didn't realize was that I had given so much during the NICU stay I felt really powerful while I was there but really it was just every bit of me all the cortisol and the adrenaline was pumping through my veins to get her through and I felt powerful because of those hormones were rushing through me but really what I was doing was emptying my tank and when I got home I had nothing and 
you know what it's like when you're used to being able to look up when they're feeding to make sure that they're breathing at the same time that they're eating and then you go home and then you're just supposed to trust that they remember to breathe like excuse me (laughs) I don't know I did not trust her um that is really challenging it's a reckoning that you just have to trust that your baby will survive and live and my goodness it's it's like a huge metaphor for being a parent altogether, but it's way more intense for NICU moms because there was this actual real, real chance that you would lose them. So when we went home, I um, had some pretty severe panic attacks. Um, and just to describe what that looks like, I was dissociating all the time. Dissociation is when you feel like you're out of your body, like you're in a dream or something like that. Um, and I felt completely disconnected from what was happening. Um, and I know now that was being triggered by the trauma of having to listen to her all night long and just praying that she would survive the first night at home. Um, the lack of sleep. Uh, the fact that my hormones, it was six weeks after she was born, they were starting to drop. Um, all of these things. I was having these insane uh, feelings and thoughts coming through my head to reckon the fact that like I had a child who didn't come home and then to bring a child that I had convinced myself would die and bringing her home. I was like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. My brain just melted and um, it was terrible. I, I thought I was having intrusive thoughts. I was thinking that they were going to come take away, take her away. Like I couldn't be trusted with her, that I was going insane. Um, that's a really common feeling or thought to have with anxiety, that the worry that you're going crazy. Um, I remember taking showers and thinking this is – like, they're going to have to hospitalize me, and she's going to go away forever. I didn't feel bonded to her. I didn't feel that connection because I had spent so much time separating myself from her, preparing for her to die. Um, and I felt tremendous guilt and shame about all of that because that's not what it should be like, right? That's not what Instagram tells me. Chrissy Teigen didn't look like that. And she was like, I had PPD, but now look at me. I have a line of cookware at Target, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I I just felt like there was something wrong. There was something wrong. And I'm so lucky that I asked for help as soon as I, I felt like something was up. Um, and I started seeing a counselor immediately. I started taking SSRI, um, antidepressants, um, and and it, since then, she's almost one now. It's just been, it's been like a battle for myself. You know, when you have, when you become a mother, I firmly believe that you get broken down to your basis form and then you have to like build yourself back up again. Um, when you lose a child or when you go through an intense trauma like that, it's like I was a shell and I had, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I didn't know what I wanted, what I loved, what do I enjoy? You know, what does it mean to love things? Um, you just have to rebuild yourself, a sense of self up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really struggled with that. Um, so if it's not clear, I obviously had postpartum anxiety, which fueled postpartum depression. And also I was struggling with PTSD and grief. For me, 
uh, it was groundbreaking for me to realize how many moments of trauma I had experienced. I think for NICU moms, you don't think about it. You just think, I had the NICU stay and that was it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, obviously, your child is intensive care. Your watch, it's, it feels wrong. They're small. They're tied up to wires. You're not providing their primary care for them. Like, you have to ask someone if you can hold them. Mm-hmm. That is all traumatic. And for a lot of women, it's not just a couple days, you know, which can be extremely traumatic. But mm-hmm. for you, it was several months, right? But the fact that um, the trauma continues um, and that I was experiencing trauma before that, infertility can be traumatic for people. Birth can be traumatic. So the birth itself, the delivery, both of mine were traumatic because I was worried that my child would die. Um, The experience of being pregnant with JJ was traumatic every day. It's not normal to Google um, the percentage or likelihood that your child would die, mm-hmm. um, all of that had been building up in me. And I think it builds up in women who have high-risk pregnancies or women who have NICU stays and then go home. I think of women with medically fragile children who have NG tubes and trachs and oxygen tanks and things like that that they have to deal with. Um, even just, I think, reacclimating into life is traumatic if you have a full-time job before trying to just interact with the world feels foreign and off. Mm -hmm. So you, there's so much more that we endure as NICU mothers than we give ourselves credit for. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why I'm so glad that dear NICU mama exists because I, the guilt and the shame of not being strong enough, not being good enough is really pervasive in me. And I don't want for a second that to exist in anybody else. Mm-hmm. I, w- I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. And I have many. No, I'm just kidding. I'm no, I have no enemies. <laughs> anyway. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I appreciate how you can share from the perspective of two very different NICU stays. Mm-hmm. And um, do I dare say that JJ's was more quote, normal or, you know, like maybe Mm -hmm. um, moms in the NICU can relate to that, Mm -hmm. you know, a little differently and things like that. Um, So now that you, now JJ's like nine months, no, oh, (laughs) haha, 11 months, months. actual nine months just did. (laughs) I know, so much date do we go by? Oh gosh, Um, hashtag NICU mom problems. (laughs) If someone asks and they're like, how old are they? Nine months, 11 months, nine months, 11 months. <laughs> how much time do you have? Do you want me to explain <laughs> her story? They're like, do you know what an incompetent <laughs> cervix is? I love it. Um, so it's, I was, you know, when we first got coffee and I talked about this in that first episode, but it was just so um, encouraging to me to see JJ out in like, the normal world you know it was Mm -hmm. like we were at starbucks and Mm -hmm. at one point you went to the bathroom and i held her and i was like oh my gosh like other people can hold nikki babies you know it was just like (laughs) it was good for me though to Mm -hmm. see like you know that the NICU wasn't all there was, you know, yeah, like there yeah. was this life outside of the NICU that could look more normal and more mm-hmm. like, you know, my friends with, you know, I don't mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. And so now that she's almost a year, like what encouragement would you give to moms in the NICU today that are like, 
oh my gosh, will I ever be able mm-hmm. to go to Starbucks? Will mm-hmm. I ever be able to just like, quote, have a normal pregnant, you know, oh, newborn yeah. experience? I mean, what are some of the joys that you've experienced and the miracles that you've experienced now that would encourage a Nikki mom mm-hmm. sitting in the Nikki today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that the most annoying thing that we hear as Nikki moms is it'll, you know, this is such a small portion of their life, you know, the idea that the Nikki was a season and it's going to come and go. And at some point in this mythical future, everything will be beautiful and normal and perfect. Well, that doesn't feel good when you're in the middle of it. And that's not what you want to hear. And it also, it really frustrates me because it negates the intense, traumatic, and difficult experience of the NICU itself. It, it is what it is. It is, it is challenging. Um, and it's also frustrating, I think, for people to, to feel the responsibility of, oh, NICU moms are stronger because they get through it, you know? What you, you're going through is tough. And I think accept that you are where you are, you know, emotionally. So what I mean by that is if you're feeling anger, um, frustration, or if you laugh at something silly even that happens in the NICU, don't don't be judgmental about what you're experiencing. Um, it's a lot, and you're getting through so much, and that in itself is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, you are incredible for getting through this. And the other side of it is that it is a season and it does pass. <laughs> and then other things become your more prevalent concerns, you know. People always asked when she came home, how is JJ doing? Well, she's doing amazing. I'm doing horribly. <laughs> like, I did everything I could to get her home healthy here and safe. And so the babies, they thrive. They really do. Even if they're medically fragile, I think it's incredible how resilient they are. Mm-hmm. I see so many amazing bloggers and writers and friends who have kids who have had multiple surgeries and struggle, but their kids are filled with joy and have mm-hmm. beautiful, full lives. Mm-hmm. That will happen for your child. They will have a beautiful, full life. Mm-hmm. So, and, and and I know that because if you're someone listening to that, this podcast right now, you're someone who cares enough about yourself and your experience to be projecting that love onto your child nonstop. Mm-hmm. Trust that your love is enough. You are going to do so great. They're, the, the kids are going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Take a step back and make sure that you're going to be okay too Mm -hmm. because they're focusing on like learning how to crawl and roll over and you're reckoning with like a midlife crisis, right? Like Mm -hmm. a a fundamental existential crisis. That's huge. Um, Care for yourself in ways that are deeper than face masks and bubble baths. Take time for yourself because you're going to need it more than than maybe even other new moms will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would just say, do that. Mm-hmm. And, and by take time, I mean, like, if, if counseling is what you need, do that. If exercise is helpful for you, schedule it in. We uh, feel really guilty as NICU moms leaving our baby sides, I think, mm-hmm. because we feel like it's our duty mm-hmm. and no one else can take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and... While it's true that we take care of them best, other people can other people can keep them alive, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's what you need so that you can stay sane. Um, I think there are 
I really enjoyed at the celebration photo shoot seeing these women who had kids who were 14, 15, 18, right? Mm -hmm. Because their kids are doing great. Mm -hmm. And I think that time does this beautiful thing of putting softened edges around painful memories. Um, And not that I want you want to wish those painful memories away, but just know that you won't feel as burdened by them, maybe. Mm -hmm. I I think that that will happen. Mm And your kid is turns into like a person as they get older, <laughs> and that is super fun and also like difficult to deal with. Because like, <laughs> I was, I remember being like, "Why are you so loud and you talk all the time?" <laughs> oh, me? Oh, um, with, with JJ, and that has been really rewarding, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I I use to combat my negative, anxious thoughts about I'm not doing enough, I'm not I'm not good enough, right? Is seeing how well she's doing. And knowing that her existence is proof that I am amazing. Mm-hmm. So just look at your child and how much love you feel looking at them because they're just friggin' awesome. <laughs> just know that it's because they're a product of you. Mm-hmm. I think that is so powerful. So Martha, thank you so much for sharing part two. <laughs> yeah. um, it was just an honor to hear your story. And it's just so fun to see JJ thriving and um, – just the closer that we've gotten, I feel like the more mm. I've just gotten to see her personality shine, and it's just, it's so much fun. Um, and so, um, Nikki Mama, if you are listening to this, um, you know, just again, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, the NICU in itself is an experience that I want to say a very select or small group of people really get to experience. And not only that is that in and of itself an experience, but then coming home too. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that you heard just the value and the importance of taking care of yourself and mm-hmm. that there's no shame in feeling afraid when you come home. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's this, you know, people are always saying, are you excited to come right. home? And, yeah. oh, and yes. it's like, of course you are. You're, mm-hmm. you're excited because that means no more wires, but that also mm-hmm. means no more wires. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's no shame if you're still adjusting to being home, if you're mm-hmm. still like, if you even miss the NICU sometimes, the safety of that bubble, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, that's okay right now. Like you are mm-hmm. doing great. And like Martha said, like you're the best mom for your baby. Mm-hmm. Like you are doing everything right and so right. um we just want to commend you and just let you know like you you're doing yeah. great <laughs> yeah you are and we you know it's when we feel really vulnerable I think we feel weak but actually it's a it's a great sign of resiliency that you're noticing how difficult it is and still enduring mm-hmm. oh my goodness the endurance that Nikki mamas have it's ridiculous mm-hmm. it's just incredible so look you're a miracle mm-hmm. and your baby is a sub miracle right. of your miracle <laughs> and even if your Nikki stay was two days oh, or yeah. five days or 180,000 you know mm-hmm. whatever like um, you, your story is important. Your story is valid and your trauma is valid. Like mm-hmm. what you've gone through is valid. And so, um, thank you so much for listening. And Martha, yeah. thank you so much for sharing. Um, I know that there's so much value laced within this episode. And so, um, again, if you are a new listener or, um, we'd love for you to subscribe to keep hearing stories of amazing moms and their amazing babies. Um, and we hope that this podcast just continues to validate that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, your birth, yeah, you're not alone. So 
thank you for listening. Yes. We will catch you guys on the next episode, but have a wonderful rest of your day. And mm. Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood. <laughs> Too bad you can't see the video of how I like pointed yeah. and we had this moment. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's for later. That's we'll for put later. a live feed later <laughs> and no one will watch. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. We'll see yes. you guys next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.